Welcome to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Gail Stewart here with Raul Sandalin and our special co-host, one of my mentees from UCSD. Rohan Klusesa. Hi, Rohan. Okay, so I'm just back from the Stowe Story Labs narrative session in Birmingham, Alabama, and founder and director David Rocchio. He's coming up on the show. He's interviewed straight ahead. But Rohan, you're going to talk about UCSD and what you're doing up there. Yeah, so I'm part of the Triton Television, which is a filmmakers club at UCSD, and they pretty much take everyone at all skill levels and I uh, worked on a couple projects with them that I can talk about too. All right. Raul, you've got something else. I'm going to talk about the one pager, a tried and true marketing tool, but I have a challenge for listeners and I think there's a way we can use this old traditional one pager and get out and pitch our scripts ASAP. There you go. That's all coming up. If you're like me and have checked out the Stowe Story Labs and Retreats website and wondered how the heck can I be part of these very cool events? Well, all of that's coming up because Lab founder David Rocchio is with us on the show. So stay tuned. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. Welcome to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. So you are the founder and the director of Stowe Story Labs, which is like a really big deal. Can't comment on the big deal. I, it's a fun deal. And yes, I founded it and with David Pope, and we're in our 11th year. Your father was very interested in screenwriting, he and he bought you your first scripts. He did. He bought me uh, Preston Sturg- a book of Preston Sturges scripts. And what was the Paul Newman movie with Jackie Gleason? The Hustler. Hustler, yeah. Yeah. And he started taking me to the movies as a very young age. Inappropriately, for my 12th birthday, he took me and my buddies to see Easy Rider. I read that. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And so I, I ha- I'm in, we are talking while we're in Birmingham, Alabama. And I probably didn't come to the South, so I was 35 because of that experience. And for my 15th birthday, he took uh, another friend of mine and I to the movies and we saw Deliverance. So uh, he was into that, the dark, you know, French connection cinema. And what he taught me about cinema was really interesting, which was people go to the movies to see themselves. And he was an English teacher. And so after the film, we'd be talking in the car and he'd be doing Socratic method. And so why do you think the soldier walked out of the room right then? And a lot of the things that David Pope talked about the other day in subtext, my dad was a master of of peeling back the layers of that onion. Just to kind of springboard off that, that talk by David Pope on subtext was so clarifying for me because everybody talks about subtext, but it's so ethereal. It's like, and he really kind of opened some doors for me. Yeah, well, I'll back up and just say, David and I met, I had a short film at Cannes and uh, uh, I did a workshop with David. And I had been very cynical about doing workshops. I had developed my own work, and I felt pretty comfortable pitching the projects. What David does is listens really well, and he's a deeply thoughtful guy. It's really fun with him, if you're in a conversation, to be silly because it drives him absolutely out of his mind. He doesn't (laughs) like interruptions. He wants to talk about the thing we're talking about. And so when he talks about subtext, it's a Rubik's Cube of how to make your story stronger, not just because in itself it's interesting, but it helps you frame what are the emotional things people are doing 
that you'll want to watch as an audience member instead of just having somebody sit and tell you a story. But subtext are also just so real for us as humans. That's how a lot of us operate. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, body language is everything, right? Right. We're going to do an exercise today doing this interview. We're in the last day of our lab at the Sidewalk Film Festival where I'm going to have you write scenes where the character does not do something that you'd expect them to do in the moment. And it's another play on subtext, right? It's a way for the audience to experience the character making a mistake or purposely putting someone else in jeopardy. And it's interesting because where you could in the story just say what the person is doing by giving the audience that experience and the tension of, oh my God, why isn't he just picking up that cup? And uh, it's fun. Stowe Lab is very unique. It gives us, you know, David Pope, he he really kind of, as you mentioned, he really hones in on certain things. And I think his favorite word is being useful. He wants to be useful. So is there kind of like a strategic method to how you and David have built this and implemented the classes and panels for your, for your emerging screenwriters? Very much so. There's three parts to what we do. The first is looking for people who have a good story demonstrate to us in the application process that they have the capacity to do the work and demonstrate a collaborative nature. So we work very hard to figure out who would fit in the programs we run and we feel we're pretty good at that. The second thing we do is we try very hard to demystify the industry and it's not a purposeful thing, it's a subculture like any other, it's a big subculture and it works in its own way and if you don't know the way, that they're, they're, no one's going to um, drop that veil for you. And we're trying to do that. And the third thing we do is try to elevate the story so that the projects that people are working on, when you get a meeting and somebody says, sure, I'd like to read that, it's ready to be read because you're not going to get a second chance. What is the criteria to be accepted to Stowe? You mentioned a little bit of it. For the labs, we want the writer to demonstrate they know how a screenplay is structured and they've done the work so that they're aware of the rules of uh, presentation and they are a good storyteller. Beyond that, the, for a lab, the script doesn't have to be um, a polished draft. You can apply with a treatment or a story or an idea, but then you have to demonstrate that you know how to write a script. It's not the work that it's not the presentation of the work, it's the idea that's most important. And then we look for people with a collaborative nature and you can see that they're gonna be able to do what you teach them, that they're not gonna be resistant or, or unable to take the steps that we're outlining. So I submitted one of my scripts and did somebody read it and decide that, oh, she's ready to be in this program? We don't do it just off a of script read. Every our readers are mostly now alumni. I think 95% or so are alumni of the programs. Every script gets two reads. David and I, we aim for about 500 applicants. I read probably the first act. I'll go like 15, 20 pages at least. And that's a lot, right? But we don't just judge the candidate on the draft. We judge the candidate as well on the application. And you know from having applied and gotten in, it's what's your background? Why are you doing this? What's your intent with the story? And we feel we're asking good questions that give us a sense of 
who is this person? What is she going to be like when she's in our programs? For the retreats, which are mostly for alumni, although we do take first-time applicants for retreats, the draft has to be really, really good. It's got to be something that our mentors are active, busy industry professionals. And so, and at the retreats, they're reading five scripts. They have to be really good scripts or the mentors are going to not want to come back. They don't want to be working with people who aren't ready. Like say Vermont, are they actually working one-on-one with the individual on that script to change it, to make it better, to polish it? So our programs are broken down this way. The narrative labs where we are right now in Birmingham, the mentors do mentor tables, which someone here called the mentor circle. So I'm going to adopt that now. And that, as you know, that's they're taking pitches, but that's a euphemism for what we're doing, which is getting you to talk about your story to an industry professional who only knows about you what is in the participant book. So that's a one page summary of you and the project. And the reason we do that is in this industry, you have to be able to talk about yourself and your script in an informal, comfortable way in any situation. And the person you're talking to may not know anything other than what you've just said about you or the project. Also, by doing that and the way we do it here, with the other content you're getting, I'm hoping you're finding that you're evolving both in your ability to talk about your project and how you think about your project and what you're going to do next with your project. So it's a pedagogical process that with the content we give you and those mentor meetings are structured to have you leave here in a different state than you were when you got here. Yes. When you go to the retreats, now that's a higher level of it, involvement? a different experience. So the labs are four days intensive deep dives on elements of story on uh, writing exercise to get you like we've talked about subtext and other things also exposure to the industry and understanding of how to approach a conversation and how to do research on production companies and all the things we've been doing the retreat and there are 50 people up to 50 people at a lab the retreats are expansive so there's time to write reflect revise and you get three one-on-one script note meetings with three different industry mentors. And these are like top showrunners. A lot of people now who've come through our programs and are working writers in LA, TV and film. The other thing we do, which is different than some programs, and there's no right or wrong way to do it. We don't divide TV and film programs. We very much feel everybody should be doing both at this point. If you're a TV writer, and you're getting ready to go out and find representation, you need a quiver of TV scripts and a feature. And if you're trying to develop feature work, you need three, four features and a TV project. So we don't uh, divide by format. Can you explain the fellowship program? Because there is a fellowship, right? And I think it's important that people in marginalized communities realize that there's help for them. Yes, we, there's a number of things we do. First, we are a fee-based organization. When we started the labs, we didn't wait for somebody to fund us. So we do charge for people to participate in the programs. We also have, I think right now we have 15 fellowship slots that are, you can use for labs or retreats. And we also do scholarships from full scholarships to small partial scholarships we did over $200,000 of investment into artists who are working with us this year. And we have also the Still Launch program. Still Launch is a dedicated effort to work for a year with people to develop the script so it's 
ready to go, ready to bring to market. My intent with the labs is pretty straightforward. My experience trying to develop my own work was mostly in Europe. I'm really interested in the independent film co-production system in Europe, public incented cinema that's designed more like stories that we're working on here, not Hollywood. Hollywood's its own thing. It's very good at what it does. It's driven by private money. So the story has to generate a return, which is unpredictable, which makes it more likely the story has to fit a formula. Europe is more expansive. We don't have in America a public body that finances development of independent cinema. We are a nonprofit working to focus on the development of independent cinema. Development money is scarce and expensive, and so we're trying to do away with that and give people a chance to get their stories out in the world. And the thing you said about uh, having people from different walks of life, that's so critical because the point of view of the storyteller has to be from a point of view that they understand and America needs more stories. Final question. What's your best tip and advice for the emerging screenwriter? Be yourself. Write what you want to write. Don't worry about the market. It's so hard to get work made. If you think about that, you'll drive yourself crazy. Just do what you can do and do something else so that you're not reliant on getting your script made. So you can just be yourself and talk about the story in a thoughtful way and take advantage of what comes in front of you. From the bottom of our hearts at the San Diego Screenwriter Studio, thank you very much, David Rocchio. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Gail Stewart here, our guest host today, Rohan Kolshrestha. And of course, we have our trusted servant here, Raul Sandalin. I never leave. So you're going to get us prepared to pitch. If you haven't heard, feature films are back. I want to go back to a marketing tool that's been used in the film industry, and that is the one-pager. Ah, the dreaded one-pager. And it's a good sort of short and sweet exercise if you're looking to have a big impact with not a lot of time. Write a one-pager. So if you have, let's say, three partially written scripts, what I'd like you to go out and do is write three one-pagers. But I have a caveat to that. When you write the one-pager, Rohan, have you tried to write one yet? Um, I've never had to write a one-pager. Okay, well, we're going to make you do that. <laughs> That's your it, next assignment. It's the rite of passage. <laughs> but, you don't get out of here without but writing the, a one-pager. The deal with the one-pager is it forces you to know everything about your plot, your character, the engine of the story. I mean, you have to know all of that in order to get that across in a pitch. It's a great tool, or so I've heard. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the idea here is to start pitching. A one-pager has also been called a leave-behind, because we all know that trope of, I'm going to just leave this here. And it's good to do that. It's something that's very easy, and who can't read one page of something? Sure. You may hear one page or one sheet, and sometimes they're used synonymously. A one sheet is often used to uh, as another name for a poster. 
for a movie. So if you have visual art skills, Photoshop, layout skills. Yeah, like a pitch deck? Uh, well, you can use it as part of your pitch deck, yeah. the, the poster okay. or the one sheet. Yes. It's the same poster that uh, uh, viewers would see in the movie theater as they walk you know, past the marquee. Right. You know, have the main visual elements along with the title. One of the things that people will do is have the one sheet on one side of their eight and a half by 11 and then have the one pager on the other side. So you have the visual poster on one side, you flip it over. That's and you a good have idea. The, the one page treatment right. on the other. Good and idea. Quick shout out to a couple of uh, online websites that are very good resources screencraft.org. We love them. And then industrialscripts.com. Love them. I referred to them uh, for this seg- segment. So thank you. So make sure you have a good snappy title, something that's going to grab readers' attention. Title first, then your name. With an email on it. And contact information, absolutely. The logline is a short and snappy 25 to 50 word uh, description of your project, of your film, or of your series. And then, and this has to be included, a three-act summary of your plot. And that is it for the basics. Then if you have some space and time, you want to go into the main characters some more, explain their motives, you know, inner, you know, secret, you know, things, conflicts and stuff you can. You can discuss the genre, which is sometimes important, especially if you're trying to write, you know, a genre film like a Western or rom-com. Right. where, Where you're trying to pitch it within a certain market. I would use right after your logline, I would put throw in <clears throat> the genre and format as well as the comps. Comparing them to other films. But Absolutely. Yeah, in, your, in your plot summary, you certainly can open up and say this is a Western that deals with, you know, this, this, and sure. this. But you got to know your audience. You know, it's the right place and the right time for this movie. So, yep. dear producer, if you invest in it and buy my script, you know, this is the time to do it. Yeah. This is something you should ask yourself, and that is, what is unique about your movie and your script? You know, especially if you are writing a a genre movie, why is this Western going to be different from other Westerns, or this rom-com different from other rom-coms? And you better have something unique. One of the challenges that I started this out with is that I wanted you to go out and write three one-pagers based on your three ideas that you've already started. Then I want you to go out and pitch them. And that means you need to find producers. And that means you need to build your own network, rely on your own contacts, your own winning personality, and go out there and knock on doors. However, I do have uh, some leads for you. If you Google the words list movie production companies, that will open up a big Pandora's box of stuff for you. You're going to get a list. You'll see a list of vertical logos. Many of them are logos you've seen like Warner Brothers and Disney. But when you start to get 15, 20 uh, production companies down, that's when you start to see people you've never seen before. 
You know, and that's where it gets good. You're starting to get into the larger independent production companies, and then you're working your way down to smaller ones. Well, it's also good to go to the production companies that specialize in your genre, right? That's why it's so important to know the genre, know the format, and then you find the production companies that are doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So so this is going to get you going, believe me. And then if you start scrolling up and down from that Google search, Again, list movie production companies. You're going to start finding a lot of stuff, and then it's just up to you to knock on those doors. So, right. so next time we talk, I want to hear that everybody got a yay or a nay. Somebody <laughs> bought your script or somebody oh, gave you a professional no. Oh, God, okay. the pressure's on. Rohan, the pressure's on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have to. <laughs> okay. Rohan Kulshrestha coming up. He's going to talk about Triton Television and what's going on at UCSD, right? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. It's just straight ahead, so stick with us. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio and KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Hey, today we have one of my UCSD mentees, Rohan Kulshrestha. He's with us on the show today. Welcome, Rohan. Hi, thanks for having me. So Triton Television, or TTV, is a filmmaking club on, at UCSD. And I joined, I guess I've actively been a member for about a year now, but two years ago when I first uh, landed on campus. It was one of the first clubs that I looked up, and what was only like a special interest to me then kind of amplified into like a practical hobby through their equipment and programs. When you first join, there's like a 10-week internship program is what they call it, and they kind of teach you the basics of all filmmaking, like pre-production. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so for me especially, because I had didn't have many skills with filmmaking or experience. And for a lot of people in the club, that was definitely really useful because they walk you through like pre-production, writing, editing, post-production, different camera types, um, different shot types, everything. So, And this was done on the weekend, right? This wasn't yeah, done this during... Was, <laughs> so it's like extracurricular. Every Sunday we'd meet for about two hours and wow. then take notes on whatever they're talking about and then kind of go out and do our own thing. Like hands-on, right? Yeah, so the 10 weeks that they um, put you through, or at least they teach you about, uh, kind of help you make your own film that you then go out, shoot, and then debut at the end of the quarter. And then you said you had uh, ongoing regular activities where filmmakers will come in and work with you. Yeah, so on top of that, for everyone who isn't in the internship program, there's general body meetings that go on every Wednesday where it's just like get together, talk about what's going on in the week, any projects it's like an opportunity for people who are working on stuff to ask for help or ask for advice and just in general talk about the club um, what's really unique is they'll have these animation showcases where they'll come in and show us these short films some of that have been nominated for oscars and we'll get to see them before everyone else came which is pretty cool very cool yeah so you have worked on a film with the ttv right yes i've worked on a couple the Delirium, though, you wrote that script. I read it. It was really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. that was um, actually part of the second phase of the internship program. So let's talk about the movie. So I guess you could classify it as a sci-fi or drama thriller. It's somewhat a murder mystery of a detective who kind of 
meets with the main suspect of the case that he's working on, and it's just a back and forth between the two as he tries to figure out the different occurrences that led to where they are now. In so time. it was shot in one room, or were there several locations? Uh, there were many locations, but I guess the bulk of it happens in one room, and then through flashbacks, the different locations come in. So you were talking about an unreliable narrative, right? Yeah, an unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. narrative. Being kind of told one thing, but you find out later that, you know, it wasn't the complete truth. Um, the audience is led to believe one thing, but through their dialogue exchange, more and more it comes to the surface. And I guess there's a lot of subtext there, as you were talking about. Yeah, we talked about it because yeah. when I was back at the Stowe Story Lab, David Pope, one of the, the main lecturer and founder, did a whole lecture on subtext. Mm-hmm. And really awesome. And yeah. what a formidable device. We've all heard and nobody likes to have a an info dump or backstory <laughs> dump. So when you have a lot of this stuff uh, revealed through the subtext, it's much more... Yeah, yeah the, but the subtext, you know, as, as at least was laid out by David Pope, is more of what they're not saying. They could be talking about photography when actually what's going on is there is a dysfunctional issue in the family that nobody wants mm-hmm. to talk about, right? Yeah. And so in your the little short that you did called Delirium. In that, the flashbacks, do they provide a subtext or is it in the interrogation room where there might be a little more subtext going on? Um, I'd say it's a mix of both. Definitely through the flashbacks, we learn more about the characters and their role in the uh, murder case or the investigation that go, that's going on. But a lot of it happens through their dialogue. Is it's that's something that I really like writing or working on. Mm-hmm. So while there is a lot of subtext, like a lot of it also comes out uh, naturally through their words. Film is not your major, right, no. at UCSD. So Rohan is doing all of this on the side because what he's really studying is... Cognitive science. Okay, oh, man. <laughs> How did you mix those two? Well, it's funny because for the longest time, um, I've always been interested in that side of what I do. It, it, I'm majoring in cognitive science, but I'm specializing in machine learning and neural computation. So it's more of a tech side of education. And so I've always been fascinated with all that type of stuff. Um, but it wasn't until recently, like COVID, when I started watching a lot of movies. And my sister, who undergraduate, she was part of a film club, and she brought a lot of that home. And so it kind of like translated to me. And so naturally, when you watch something um you just want to try to replicate it so right when I, so yeah so when i went what got to campus i saw ttv and then from there it just kind of blossomed into what it is today awesome it's also been said that film is the best art form for capturing how the human mind works because it can jump around jump from place to place jump back and forth <laughs> in time you know your your major yeah. and your passion or your minor are sort of fit together in that respect. Yeah, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because I'll be sitting in like a psychology lecture and they'll bring things up and I'll be like, oh, that kind of translates into what I'll be working on in a film or something. Nice. And the because like what you're trying to film is like natural behavior, so you want to try to get it as on the dot as possible. And so that kind of like understanding how people actually function can help in some ways. I have a quick question for you. Have you tried AI in your script writing? (laughs) (laughs) I've messed around with it, but it hasn't been nearly as good as like what I can come up with. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Humans still win. I know they do, but it's just a matter of time. I'm telling you, I swear to God, right? Hey, Rohan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you. 
You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. We'll be right back for final thoughts. Stick around. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We're just about to close the studio door. Final thoughts, Raul. Well, I'm all about getting people outside their comfort zones. But I say that because I've started watching a number of Spanish language films. And what's interesting is not only is the language different, but the filmmaking techniques. Get outside your comfort zone and see some films in some other cultures and other languages. All right. From personal experience, one of my favorite movies is actually a French film called La Haine. And the director, I think, is Matthew... Kasowitz. Yes. Um, it's a it's like twenty four hour period of small group of friends who just go around town after following like a police riot. And I think the best part of that movie is the directing style and the way the camera moves. And it's definitely one of my favorite movies. Good. We'll check it out. And I want to tell you about the upcoming San Diego International Film Festival. It runs from October 18th through the 22nd. The San Diego International Film Festival is the largest film event in the region, attracting lots of national and international celebrities. Get your tickets now. And finally, a big thank you to Stowe Story Lab's co-founder, David Rocchio, for sharing how you can get a seat at the table. And thank you to KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you.